So uh, about 10 day, more, no, 10 weeks ago, excuse me, about 10 weeks ago, uh, our life was uh, very different for many of us that are in the room this morning. Uh, Doug mentioned uh, Superstorm Sandy. Say that fast three times. Superstorm Sandy. Superstorm Sandy. Uh, has uh, a profound effect upon, uh, upon us. Um, I think the most common question was asked uh, when we met people, when we you know, saw people that we knew, is do you have electricity? Do you have power at your house? You know? uh, how long has it been? We, 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 we kind of became known as you know, seven days, a week, ten days, you know, whatever. I, if you might even remember on a Sunday morning when we were almost about two weeks out, I had asked... Uh, was there anybody in the church that still was without electricity? And I think the only hand that went up was a brother Mark back there. And uh, to his delight, uh, that afternoon when he went home, there were utility trucks on his block. And shortly after that, there was, there was joy in, in Mark's house. You, how happy you can get over something as simple as electricity. But, you know, uh, for my wife and I, we were like 10 days without uh, without hot showers, hot meals, a hot house, you know, a warm house and, and all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it was a little challenging, especially for us because we had just a week or two before that, we had uh, the first floor uh, of our house, the kitchen and, and bath and, and hall. Uh, uh, what was that? What, what did call? Demoed. Yeah, we had it all ripped out. It was right down to the studs. And so uh, life for us in those 10 days were, were kind of challenging. Uh, what, uh, what, what easily, you know, you begin to discover in an event like that is what's really important, you know. Uh, we had, we had the, uh, the optimum triple play in reverse. We had no phone, no power, or no, 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 no TV and no uh, internet service. And, and you know what? We, we survived, you know. Uh, we lived without all that, those conveniences. And for us, uh, we, uh, we realized that we were, we were pretty, you know, we felt like we were pretty blessed. We had a couple of trees come down, but it didn't hit the house. It, it was, you know, broke a couple of, of sections of fence. But we had no structural damage to our home or no water damage. And, and so we, we, felt, we felt especially blessed by uh, having weathered that, uh, that, that storm. Uh, so, you know, I come to the realization that, that there are some things that we could live without, but but there are some things that we cannot live without, that we absolutely cannot live without. I mean, imagine for a moment that if some cataclysmic event took place in our whole nation and, and we all had to adapt to a new way of living, our lives would totally be changed. Without electricity, you know, our, our lives would be drastically different. But, but we would survive, you know? Uh, I mean, how did they do it before electricity was invented? I mean, they've you know, been around for thousands of years without it, you know, and they, and, and they got by, you know. I, I was uh, raised for the first 12 years of my life in Brooklyn in what was, what was called a cold water flat, uh, which means that they had no hot water at one time. And by the time I came along, they, thank God they did have hot water, but we didn't have showers, we had baths, you know, and you took a bath once a week whether you needed it or not, you know. <coughs> but uh, so we had indoor plumbing, you know. I mean, there are places in the world today that don't have indoor plumbing and how, how, how convenient and how, you know, comforting and blessed that is. But people live without that stuff. But there are some things that you absolutely can't live without. 
uh, once in a while when I'm feeling kind of silly, I'll, I'll sing to my wife. And one of the songs that I sing to her is, I can't live if living is without you. I can't live. I can't live anymore. You know, I can't give anymore, whatever it is. Yeah, Mariah Carey does a better job, obviously, right? But uh, I, said, I, I, ho- I hope that I'll never have to, you know, go through that experience of not living without my love. Um, but I know that if it happened, God would supply grace for me, and I think she'd probably do a whole lot better than I would. But in fact, I, I know I've heard my kids talk about uh, hoping that mom and dad go together. Uh, I hope they don't mean like next month or, you know, you know, or like go down to Boca Vista, you know, with the Seinfelds, you know. I don't think that that's what they were talking about. I think, I think they, were, they were saying that, you know, we've got such a close connection and close relationship that, that we really wouldn't want to live without the other one. And I really do feel that way. But, but God would give us grace. But there are some things in this world that I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I can't live without. And that's the purpose of this series. It's, it's to say that there are, there are things that we can't live without. We could live without a lot of conveniences. We could, we could live without a lot of comforts because other people who have lived before us have lived without those comforts and those conveniences. But, but for, for those of us who are in Christ, there are just some things that are impossible for us to live without. I want to talk to you this morning about one of those things, and that thing is hope. Hope. We have been born again, the Bible says, unto a living hope. This this living hope into which we in Christ have been born into, uh, it, it, it keeps us stable in the midst of a broken and a fallen world. It keeps us from despairing in circumstances that would that would naturally be cause for despair, but it keeps us from a life of despair and, and being downcast. I've heard the expression, keep hope alive, but I really think it's the other way around. I really think it's hope that keeps us alive. Hope keeps us from, from despair in so many different ways. It's, it's like an anchor upon the soul. And, and what, what an anchor is to a great ship in, in, in stormy weather, so, so what hope is to the soul of a man or a woman in times of difficulty. For me as a follower of Christ, now we're not talking about something that is some vague hope that the world, say like the, the world talks about, you know, uh, a hope that's kind of like a, a, a crossing your fingers and a, a wishful thinking, a, a, an attitude of optimism. That, that's not the kind of hope that I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that comes from God that's a part of the divine energy of God's very own life that he imparts to his children. For me, as a follower of Christ, my hope is in God and my hope is God. So I believe that God is himself the greatest news or the gospel that has been given to us. Listen, if, if you're in Christ this morning and Christ is in you today, you've been born for this purpose. You've been created for this purpose He has created you in his image so that you would reason and think and imagine and dream and hope, but that your hope would especially be in him. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, I'm so glad you're here. And I hope that you will hear something 
that will cause you to ask the question, what is it about these people that make them different? I want to tell you what that difference is. It's a hope that it's within us. It's a living, vital connection to the God of hope. See, I'd rather, I'd rather not live without showers than I'd rather not live, you know, with some of the conveniences of, of sensual heating and all that stuff, but, but, but I know that I can't not live without this thing called hope. Proverbs 13 Verse 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's, it, this, this, this is not as bad as hopelessness. It's hope that's postponed, hope that's overdue, hope that's been set aside, hope that's been put off, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's bad enough to have your heart, now we're not talking about the the muscle in your, in your chest. We're talking about the center of a person's being. The center of a person's being, when hope is put off, when it's deferred, it, it, it will cause there to be a sickness of the soul. But when what is hoped for becomes a reality, it becomes like, well, it becomes like eating fruit from a tree of life. When that longing comes. I've shared with you before, some months ago about Viktor Frankl, who was uh, an Austrian uh, Jew who was uh, in the Auschwitz death camp during the time of the Nazi regime. And uh, he was a psychologist, and he, and he, and he writes about the, the phenomenon that he observed while in the most incredible, horrific conditions of Auschwitz. And this is what he writes. He says, Survival did not depend on the health of the inmates. Often the young, the healthy, and the strong would die, while the old and the frail and the sick would survive. Those who did survive had a common denominator, and that was, he says, hope for the future. He wrote about one man that you might remember I shared about. <clears throat> this man <clears throat> believed that the end of the war was coming, that the allied forces were going to liberate the death camp and that he was going to be free. But it was not based upon any knowledge or any fact. It was just, it was just kind of a wishful thought. And he believed that it was, that, that it was all going to happen of that year by, my, by March 1st. As, as April, you know, was, was coming and going, it became obvious that that wasn't going to become a reality for him. And, and just a few days before March 1st, he developed a fever. A few days before that, or after that, I should say, he fell into a coma. And by March 1st, he had died. Why? Because, because his hope was a wishful thinking. It was, it was across your finger, and I hope for the best. But the Bible hope, the divine hope that we're talking about, that is a part of the very nature of God, because God is called the God of hope can energize and can, can put a life force in a person's soul that will enable you to live through the most difficult and trying and hard circumstances. I love Psalm 27, verse 13. David said this, he wrote, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. <clears throat> I would have lost heart. Now, you can't see it on the screen, but in my Bible, the first phrase, I would have lost heart, is in italics, meaning that the translators 
added that phrase to help the reader to understand the intent of the psalmist. And I I think they did a pretty good job with that phrase. But most commentators will tell you that that phrase doesn't belong there, but but it's kind of hard to put in the omission of what of what the psalmist was trying to say. He was trying to say something more like this. I don't know where I would be unless I had, see, I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Now, while that word or verse, I should say, doesn't contain the word hope in it, it is pregnant with hope. It's filled with hope and anticipation that I will, I will yet see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. One translation says, I would have fainted unless I had believed. I would have quit. I would have given up. You know, it's hard to imagine David who wrote this fainting at anything. This as a young man who didn't faint in front of a nine and a half foot, you know, giant. It's hard to think that he would faint at all. But but he's not talking about a literal fainting. He's talking about what happens to a person when hope goes and their inside, their, their inner man becomes crushed, becomes burdened by the pressure of life. Don't lose sight, though, of what, of what David is saying here. The best part is that his anticipation is to see the goodness of God. The goodness of God, in, in essence, is to see God himself, who is invisible, but it's to see with eyes wide open God's goodness in your life. Even in the midst of difficult times, it's to see this grace that God gives us is to see his goodness. Goodness and God are synonymous. Um, Without getting too overly complicated, the the, the thing that Moses cried out to God for when when he said, Lord, if I found favor in your sight, I I beg you, show me your glory. I, I want to see what you're all about. And God granted him his request. And the Lord said this, I will cause all of my goodness to pass before you. And I will proclaim my name. And the name of the Lord was the Lord full of loving kindness and tender mercy. And, 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 and the thing is that I want you to see is that, is that the predominant attribute that God, his mercy, his love, his power, his, his, all of that was summed up in the one and the one attribute of his goodness, the, the old English word for God is the good, because God is always good. In fact, God is, God is better to us than we deserve, and God is better to us than we would be to ourselves. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And you know, that is the reason, because we have our eyes open to the goodness of God, that we trust in his promises, and we trust that he knows best, because our God is good. Don't lose sight of the practicality of, of scriptures. I, I love the Psalms for that reason because they're so practical because, because David is living the life that I'm living and I'm living the life that David and the other psalmists have lived. They, they, they experience the emotions and the feelings and, and all the stuff that we go through can be found in the Psalms that understanding of what it's like to experience that pressure, you know? I mean, we've all been there, done that, you know? We, we, we've experienced the times when, when the alarm clock goes off in the morning and you just don't want to get out of bed. You want to pull the covers over your head. And then you hear that sweet, tender voice say, Honey, 
honey, it's time to get up. And you ignore her, as sweet as it is. And she says, honey, it's getting late. It's really time to get up. And you say, give me three good reasons why I should get up. Honey, it's Sunday. It's time to go to church. And you're scheduled to preach. That's an old one. But some of you probably never heard that before, so. Listen, I've been there, done that. I know what it's like to be in experiences where you just don't want to face another pressure. You don't want to face another problem. You can't, you can't seem to handle it. But, but there's a solution for us. I love Psalm 42 for that reason. Psalm 42 verse 11 says, and David is speaking to himself. He says, why are you so downcast? Oh, my soul, why so disturbed within me? And this is the direction that he gives. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He's asking himself the question. Listen, I don't think that David needed to go to, 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 to Borders or to Barnes and Nobles and to go into this section of self-helps there and to find out, you know, to get in touch with his feelings or to get in touch with his feminine side, you know, to find out what is emotionally causing him this disturbance. I think David knew exactly the, what the pressure was. I think that, that it, it was kind of David's way of kind of like smacking himself across the face, saying, wake up, man. Why should you live defeated? Why, why should you live another hour in this state of being downcast and, 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 and discouraged? and disp- don't, you rem- don't you know who you are? You are a child of God. You're in a covenant relationship with the creator of the universe. That's what he's saying here. Because God is my Savior and my God. He's my God. He's my Savior. David is awakening himself to, to, to stir up the grace of hope that is placed within us. I just want to encourage you this morning, if that needs to be stirred up today, then let the Holy Spirit come upon you and gift you with that impartation of revived and, and restored hope in your life when our hope is in him, we cannot fail. When our hope is in God, we will never be disappointed. Put your, your trust in him. I like what Sam Storms, as a writer, I like what, what, what he writes. And, and I came across something that I, I've got to kind of pre- want to share with you, but kind of preface that like the first part of his statement is really kind of hard to, to listen to. Uh, in a sense that I understand what, where he's coming from. I understand that he's drawing a contrast. I understand that he's, that he's using a black drop of, say, of, of darkness to, to expose the light that we have in Christ. But, but listen to this. This is what he said. He says, if I thought for a moment that this life was all there was or ever would be, I would fall immediately and irrevocably Retrievably into utter despair. If this, as the beer commercial suggests, is as good as it gets, I think I drop a pill or pull the trigger or find some way to escape as quickly and painlessly as possible the futility and the meaninglessness of this life. But I have hope. I am confident that this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I have hope. I have confidence 
that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. I have hope. I am confident that when Christ, who is my life, appears, I will also appear with him in glory. He concludes, as you can see, my hope is in the experience of a future glory. In some sense, in some way, this life and its pain and its deprivation and its disappointment and its ugliness will yield to an unyielding eternal glory. This is my hope. To which I say, yes, that is a living, abiding hope that's an anchor for our soul in the midst of the most painful, disappointing, ugly parts of this life. The Apostle Paul said something similar when he said that if all that we have is the hope of this life, then we among all men would be most to be pitied. It would be miserable if only in this life we have hope. But the proof and the and the the vouchsafe for us is that we have a Savior who rose again from the dead, who proves the existence of life after death. And because of that, because he said, I live, you shall live also. Jesus Christ himself is the hope of glory. He's the reason why we're here this morning. He's the reason why we can have hope in the face of difficulty and in the face of suffering that we can experience a hope that is unmovable and always abounding in the work of God. It keeps us serving. It keeps us loving. It keeps us, listen, it, it keeps us going when, when everything, even our own bodies would, would have us to just quit and give up. The destiny that we have in Christ that is wrapped up in a person. Listen, it's wrapped up in a person. All the suffering and the disappointment and all the, the worry of this life is not worthy of comparison with the glory that is going to be revealed in Christ. To see him, listen, to see him who is the treasure of heaven, to see him, in, him who is our magnificent obsession, to see Jesus face to face, there will be nothing, there will be nothing in all of the universe to compare to that pleasure, that excellence of, of treasuring Christ Jesus. John Piper put it this way. He said, if you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all of the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict, uh, no of any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? And what John is saying is that, is that heaven would not be heaven without Jesus. Heaven would not be heaven without the Lord Jesus Christ. It is what makes heaven and heaven worth it all. It's to be with him, to be in his presence. My... Uh, my wife and John Piper are in good company. I gave her a little test the other day. I gave her a piece of paper with a, a statement on it, and I said, honey, I want you to fill this out when you get a chance. And the statement reads this, is it possible to be so heavenly-minded that a person is no earthly good? Now, I, I, I know what she was going to say because she's told me her opinion before. And just to share a couple of things that she wrote, 
She said, the more heavenly minded you are, the more fruit you will produce in this life. The cares, the trials, the difficulties of life become light afflictions, not, not even worth comparing. She says, you, you not only benefit yourself by being heavenly minded, but those around you benefit. And, 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 and that is absolutely true. Let me tell you what John Piper wrote about that. He said, the Bible teaches us that a strong confidence in the promises of God and a passionate preference, a preference for the joy of heaven over the joy of the world frees a person from worldly self-centeredness, from paralyzing regret and self-pity, from fear and greed and bitterness and despair and laziness and impatience and envy. And in the place of all these sins, hope bears the fruit of love. That's why I say there's a lot of things I don't want to live without, things that are convenient, but there's one thing I can't live without, this divine energy of the power of hope. Because you see, really, it's worldly-mindedness, not heavenly-mindedness, that keeps us from bearing fruit. It's being too in love with this world, being too attached to the things of this life that keeps us from being all that we should be. You know, the, the comforts and the pleasures and the, the cares of this life, Jesus warned that they're the things that can, that can rob you of the seed that's been sowed into your heart. John the Apostle, in his first letter, says something really kind of, it, it, to the casual reader, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit. It seems to be out of place. His last sentence in, in, in closing his letter is, is, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Guard your hearts from, from idols, from, from, from things that you would love in place of God. And, and it seems so out of place to the casual reader, but the heart of what John has written about in his letter could be, could be read like this. Do not love, John says, the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But then John gets specific about what he's talking about. He's not talking about the earth. God created this. The, 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 the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God's given us richly all things to enjoy. But this is what John says. He says, he says for the cravings of the sinful man, the lust or the desires of the eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God, the woman who does the will of God, will live and abide forever. What John is saying is that there is a world system that is opposed to God, that is in opposition to God, that is in rebellion toward God, that wants to express itself in things that are anti-God and anti-Christ. And so John warns believers about that. Most people are familiar with the Bible, are familiar with the shortest verse in the Bible, you know, only two words, Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. 35. But did you know that the second shortest verse in the Bible is only three words, and it was, I'm so glad the translators broke that up into one complete verse three words and Jesus said it and when Jesus said it I believe that when Jesus said it it, it sent a chill up and down the spines of those that heard it he said remember Lot's wife 
Remember Lot's wife as a word of warning. Now, now when it comes to the words of warning of Jesus, we need, to, we need to treasure them as much as we treasure the promises of Jesus. That the words of warning are coming from a Savior who loves us and who wants to warn us about the danger of this world. Well, what happened to Lot's wife? She turned back. She was too in love with the things of this life. And as a result of that, she, she neglected so great a salvation of deliverance. And as a result of that, she was judged with the cities that God deemed as being worthy of being judged. For believers who set their hearts earnestly and intensely on a future prospect of seeing him face to face, of, of, of having that as your exceeding great treasure. I believe that there's a dynamic that is at work in us to keep us from compromise, to, to keep us on the straight and narrow, to keep us, you know, like that lamp that's before us that keeps us seeing the powers of darkness that would try to destroy us. I think John said it like this in that same letter that I'm talking about. He said, now are we the children of God and what we will be has not yet been revealed. That is all of what God has in store for us has not completely been made. We just got a little scratch of, of, of what's gonna come and it's gonna be too wonderful for, for words. But we know, says John, that when he appears, that is when Jesus appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. There is a purifying effect that hope has, this hope that I'm going to see Jesus, that I'm going to be with him forever and forever, that I'm really going to be with the one who gave himself for me. That hope, John says, has a purifying effect in us to cause us to delight in him. And those are, the, those are the desires that God puts in our heart. When we delight in him and he gives us the desires of our heart, those are desires that stretch into eternity that are way more than just the things of this present life. Let me just cite one example, okay, before I, I close this morning. Let me just cite one example of the power and the energy of this, this hope that is alive in people during a time of great persecution for the church in Jerusalem, when, when believers were being dragged out of their homes and being locked into prison and their, and their possessions were being confiscated, those that weren't in prison faced the moral dilemma. Do we, do we go underground? Do we, do we preserve our lives? Do we, do we disconnect ourselves from those in prison? Or, or, or do we, as Jesus said, visit those in prison? And the writer of Hebrews tells us the courageous stand they took. Listen to this. Hebrews 10.34 says, You sympathize with those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and a lasting possession. Do you hear what he's saying there? That you joyfully accepted somebody ripping off your house, your furniture, all your stuff, because you, would, you, you thought that that was something that was not worthy of comparison so that your connection to Christ might be fully realized. And what gave them that courage and that strength to do that when their life was on their line, when they and themselves were in prison or their property and homes were confiscated? 
It was the hope that they had a better possession, that they had a better hope in, in eternity. With that kind of a joy and that kind of a hope, listen, we become, we become undefeatable. No one can rob that hope from you when Christ himself is your hope. There's a ghetto in uh, Manila, Philippines. And ironically, it's called Aroma. The, the, the ghetto is called Aroma. But the aroma that the ghetto emits is a putrefying stench because the inhabitants of, of this particular ghetto, you could put that picture up on the screen. That would be great. The, the inhabitants collect garbage for the purpose of recycling. That is their only means of, of coming up with a few, a few dollars a, a, a week. And so rotting garbage is what lines their streets, their crumbling shanties, the little dirty kids play half naked on, on the streets uh, in muddy roads. There's communal toilets there. And from, from this garbage dump, from this slum area, emerged one of the most unlikely Cinderella's, a ballerina named Jessa, who at the age of 10 was plucked out of the ghetto by a ballet school to prepare her for a life on the stage. Jessa would have all in all likelihood, continued to follow in our family's garbage picking had it not been for a scholarship program that was pulling children like Jessa out of the ghetto like this. The children were provided with a scholarship, gave them an education, gave them food, gave them a stipend. And, and the, the founder of the, of the program was herself a prima ballerina in the nation of Philippines, and, and I have a quote from her. She says this, I think that the key really is that these kids have been given hope and that hope will transform their lives. What an what a encouraging story. When I read that story, I said, that's us. This world is a ghetto compared to the, to the glory of what is going to come. It's, it's incomparable. Just like I can't imagine living in that ghetto, I can't imagine what it's going to be like to live in glory. But, but I do have an imagination. But that's exactly what has happened to us. Grace has reached down and has plucked us who've been living in the ghetto, living in the, the, the uncleanness of this world. And mercy has reached down into us like that little girl and pulled us out and given us a hope to change our life, to, to, to radically bring transformation into our life. What, 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 what is that? It is, it is the mercy of Jesus Christ who before the foundation of the world chose us in him to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestinated us for this purpose. This is the hope that he deposits in the life of a believer. This is the hope that we have when we open up our hearts and say, Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. And that hope comes in. And that hope becomes the anchor of our soul. And what I want you to walk away with this morning is this, knowing that the key really is that we've been given a hope and that hope has the power, that hope has the power to transform our lives. 
If you're here in Christ this morning, some of you 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, even longer, you're not what you once were. You're in process. You are being changed. But you know what I'm talking about when I say that hope has the power of, to bring about transformation. But if you're here this morning and, and you can't identify yourself as being in Christ and Christ being in you, why should you wait? The offer is for you as, as well as it is for everyone. That you should receive Listen, that you should receive a Savior who loves you and who wants to give you a destiny that is beyond taking you out of the ghetto, taking you out of this world into his glorious kingdom, the kingdom of the Son of his love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the word of the Lord and the grace of God that's been given to us. We know now, Lord God, that there are some things that we, we, we can live without. We, we can live without hot showers and we can live without some of the conveniences that we've known in the past, but there's no way that we can live without hope. This, this hope that is vital, that is living, that is powerful, that is dynamic and divine in nature, you will give to anyone here this morning who will open up their heart to Jesus, who will simply say, Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Be my Savior. If you say that this morning, God will impart and implant into your spirit. He will, he will make your spirit come alive, and that spirit coming alive is being born again into a living hope. If you would do that this morning, please tell somebody before you leave today, come up for prayer or, or just Tell somebody who, who may have brought you here this morning, but, but do that today. Let hope come alive in you. Let hope arise in your heart this morning. That's my prayer for you today as we stand and worship him one more time this morning.